0: Stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, weekdays twelve thirty to three, seven seventy CHQR. Well, it's June 12 twenty sixteen. Twenty nine year old Omar Mateen went into the Pulse nightclub, a gay nightclub in Orlando, started shooting. He killed forty nine people, wounded fifty eight others was eventually uh, killed by police in a standoff. Now, the big facts of the case are what they are. Omar Martin was the gunman. This was the place that the massacre occurred. This is how many people died and this is how many people were injured. It was a gay nightclub, and the people inside that nightclub are the ones who died. But beyond that, uh, a lot of the facts around this case have been wrong, or at least not totally accurate because it's emerged that this wasn't his intended target originally that this wasn't somebody who was looking to murder gay people or that he was targeting a gay nightclub this was someone who was certainly looking to kill people in the name of the islamic state there's no doubt about that but the idea that he had been to this nightclub or that he had targeted this nightclub or that maybe he himself was a closeted homosexual and that's what led him to do this that all turns out not to be the case. Now, part of that has emerged because of people investigating this, but a lot of these facts have emerged because of the trial of the wife of Omar Mateen. Noor Salman is her name. Now, she was accused of being an accomplice, accused of helping her husband carry out this attack. And there were a lot of headlines at the time, immediately after the massacre, uh, about this woman and what she had done. There was a headline in the New York Post that said, She could have saved them all. Killer's wife knew but did nothing. So, charges were brought against her, and this all went to trial. But along the way, this whole narrative that, that she had been in on this or that she had helped him crumbled pretty quickly. And so it makes you wonder how it got to the point where she was put on trial. It's pretty rare that a terrorism case brought to trial in the U.S. fails. But this one did, and it failed spectacularly. Uh, Someone who was covering that trial is uh, Melissa Jeltson, who's a senior reporter with the Huffington Post. And she has a piece up today uh, looking at all of this. And the headline, everyone got the Pulse massacre story completely wrong. She joins us on the line to talk more about all of this. Melissa, great to have you with us. You're welcome to the program.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: Let's talk about the acquittal of uh, Noor Salman, first of all, because the the initial impression I got was that people were surprised by the acquittal. But after reading more about the case, we should all be surprised that, I mean, there was even a, a case to begin with that she was even charged to begin with.
1: Yeah, the evidence was very thin. So she was charged with aiding and abetting him, um, so supporting him in some way in his plans uh, for the attack and obstruction of justice for allegedly lying to the FBI when they interviewed her in the aftermath um, of the attack. But yeah, I mean, I sat through the entire trial and what we heard from prosecutors was they had very little to actually connect her to the attack. I mean, she had no signs of radicalization herself. They went through all you know, her cell phone, computers, She never looked up anything to do with ISIS. She was very apolitical. Um, So the prosecutors sort of tried to argue that she went along with this plan of mass murder um, simply to get some presents because he bought her a few things uh, before he went and and killed all those people. But uh, her defense said, you know, she did not have any idea what was going to happen. And, uh, you know, the big piece of evidence that the prosecution had was this quote-unquote confession that they got after they... um, held her for eleven hours right after the shooting. Um she had, you know, was pulled out of her house at four o'clock in the morning, taken to the FBI headquarters. They did not audio or videotape any of the interviews they did with her, and by the very end of it they had a a confession from her that said, I knew he was going to Pulse that night. I knew because we had been to Pulse together and um but then as they started digging into what she allegedly said in her confession they couldn't get any forensic data to back it up. So as far as they could tell, he'd never been to Pulse, she'd never been to Pulse. Uh, it just they just couldn't they couldn't corroborate any of it. Um, so her defense has always said that that was a coerced confession, and those things were fed to her by an FBI agent.
0: What was the nature of the relationship? There's certainly some details emerged in the trial about how abusive he was, how controlling he was. That being Omar Mateen.
1: Yeah. So you know, the prosecution really tried to, you know, portray her as an accomplice, his partner in crime. Um, But from what we heard, you know, I spoke to the family. um, We heard from her lawyers, but that she was his partner in nothing. I mean, she was really subjugated by him. He was extremely violent towards her physically and sexually violent. Um, He was very controlling of her daily activities, of the money she spent. She was a stay-at-home mom without a driver's license. So, She had very few resources at her fingertips. Her life was pretty much controlled um, by him. So, you know, this idea of painting this portrait that they were in this plan together, it didn't, you know, as the evidence came out, it just didn't, that just fell flat.
0: And There were a lot of really damning headlines about her at the time, and there was certainly a public perception created uh, as, as though she was an accomplice. Is that maybe why they, they went ahead with this case? Because otherwise, it's, it's hard to understand why, why they did in the first place, or why there was such a determination to see her as a villain here.
1: Yeah, I mean, what we saw right after the shooting and then after her arrest was um, all these headlines with information that was leaked by or given by law enforcement sources who were unnamed that said things like she failed four polygraph tests or we know she drove him to Pulse on other nights, stuff like that, that law enforcement allegedly told you know media outlets like Fox. None of that is true, uh, but it really fed this perception of her as being much more involved in the plan than we ever, you know, during the trial than we ever saw. Um, So, yeah, I mean, in terms of the choice to prosecute, I think it was probably a number of factors. I mean, it was the worst mass shooting in U.S. history at the time. Forty-nine people were dead. There was a real desire on the part of the community to hold someone accountable, you know, and to explain what had happened. Um, You know, the FBI had, um, you know, a long history with Mateen's family. Um, You know, his father was an FBI informant for 11 years, and he was an informant up until the massacre. And they had investigated Omar Mateen uh, in 2013 and 2014. So, you know, he was already on their radar. So, you know... I don't know if if there was something about them, you know, wanting to hold someone accountable because they had been involved with the family and couldn't have done anything to avoid the tragedy themselves. Mm -hmm. We will never really know. All we know is that they got a confession from her, um, however coerced it was or however the facts just didn't align with what she ended up telling them. And they chose to run with it and, and really go after her. And they even held her without bail for 14 months. So she had a three year old son. He's now five, um, and she's been separated from him you know up until her acquittal uh, because they you know the government really went after her as a dangerous threat to public safety, even when they had nothing connecting her specifically to the attack.
0: You alluded to something, too, which I think has, has been a part of this this narrative around this shooting, that Omar Mateen had been to this nightclub, that he had frequented this nightclub, that he was either scoping it as a target or maybe even that he was uh, somehow this, this closeted homosexual living a, a double life. I mean, so much of that has crumbled along the way, hasn't it, as a narrative?
1: Yeah, I mean, look, the government desperately wanted to find anything they could that would have connected him to Pulse because then her confession would have made sense. You know, if, they, if he was he interested in stuff to do with the LGBT community, if he read articles about it online, if he had been to Pulse before, if he had any interest like that, then her confession saying she knew she was he was going to Pulse, uh, when in fact we know that that was probably the first time he'd ever been there, the confession would have made more sense. So they really scoured through all of his electronic devices trying to find anything. And what they found was just daily obsessive searches of ISIS, searches of the FBI, searches about weapons, but nothing to allude to any sort of anti gay sentiment. Uh, and then, you know, probably the most striking thing we found out, you know, right before the trial started was looking at his Google searches the night of the massacre, he went to, he had the rifle, he was all ready, he went to Disney Springs part of Disney World. And it looks like that was his intended target. He had a stroller in the car that he had purchased by himself. And it's prosecutors believe he was going to put the rifle in the stroller and like that's how he was going to get it in uh, to the complex. But um he was deterred by high security and then he just googled downtown Orlando nightclubs, drove to the first one on the list, Eve Orlando, that one had a lot of security too and then googled again and went to the second which was Pulse. So as far as investigators can tell, that was the first time he'd ever been to Pulse, the first time he'd ever heard the name Pulse. We don't even know if he knew it was a gay bar. But when he got there, he said to the security guard where are all the women at? Uh,
0: so we, we just don't know, you know. Right. Well, and I, look, I mean, and, and you pointed out in your piece, someone who has pledged allegiance to the Islamic State, someone who believes in that ideology is unlikely to have any kind of uh, enlightened or progressive views about, uh, about, about LGBT. But the idea that, that he was going out of his way to target this community, there just really isn't evidence for that.
1: There's no evidence to back that up. Of course, we'll never know what was in his heart, but we know that he wasn't looking for an LGBT uh, place to target that night, that he was going to other places that were just full of regular people. And it looks like he was just looking for a soft target, somewhere where he could do the most damage and not get stopped. And when he got to Pulse, there was very little security. There was a full dance floor full of people, and he thought, okay, I've hit the right one. Now, he could have been extra thrilled with himself, that he targeted, you know, a marginalized community that he maybe disagreed with. But we don't know that because he never said anything about it. You know, he was on the phone with hostage negotiators for hours after, you know, while he was inside Pulse, and he spoke at length about his motivations for the attack, about wanting to avenge airstrikes, about innocent women and children being killed in the Middle East. And he doesn't ever mention anything about, you know, homosexuality. So... It could have played a role once he got there, and you know, but it doesn't look like that was part of his root motivation that night. It wasn't a planned, targeted attack on the LGBT community.
0: Right. So given everything that's now come out through this trial and, and, and through other means as well, it's, it's, do, you, do you think that the record is slowly starting to correct itself, that the narrative is is starting to resemble uh, something more accurate?
1: well, I mean, I just published my piece last night and people, I'm still getting just emails and emails from people who are completely shocked. You know, they had not heard a corrective to the narrative. They still believed that he was, he did it because they were LGBT. So I don't think, you know, we had so much coverage of the attack and then the stuff about him being closeted and um, it being a, a targeted attack on the LGBT community. I don't think we've seen much media coverage sort of reckoning with the ways in which that narrative was probably inaccurate. So I I don't think it has corrected itself yet. And maybe this article will help a little bit.
0: Well, people can find it again at uh, HuffingtonPost.com. Melissa, thanks so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate this. Thank you. There you got Michelle Jensen, uh, rather Melissa Jensen, who's covering uh, the uh, North Salmon trial for the Huffington Post, HuffingtonPost.com. Our number here, 403-974-8255. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.